are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Basketball season here on On the Line as well as football season and apparently polo is on ESPNU right now as well. Lance, how you doing today, man? I'm doing great, Noah. And before we started the show, uh, intern Sting just uh, just alerted us to the fact that there is, in fact, polo going on between North Texas and SMU over on ESPNU. And I said, wait, colleges do that? Like, they play polo? Like, it's just... What? Apparently. And we're talking about horse polo here, not water polo. Right, exactly. So You're right. Like like that is actually It said polo, it did not say water polo. It said polo and the tweet said you gotta think the ponies have the advantage in this one. Specify your type of polo. Whoa. <laughs> That's next level. You know what else is next level? The fact that you're listening to On the Line here on the Wednesday edition of the show, and there's a lot going on. This may be the easiest rundown we have ever put together for On the Line, and that's because you got basketball, you got football, you got all the stuff going on in sports right now. We're going to talk about Auburn's 77-54 to win over Moorhead State, as well as everything else that happened in college basketball yesterday. It's also a report Wednesday here on On the Line as we break down the Mississippi State Bulldogs schematically, Auburn's next opponent here coming up this Saturday in Jordan-Hare Stadium. We'll also speak to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer as we get his thoughts on everything that happened in the basketball game as well as upcoming football action. There's still three football games left, but to me, it's basketball season. A lot of great things going on here on the show today, and if you want to call in 334-321-1390, we'll put you through to us here on On the Line. We're taking your calls, we're taking your comments, your takes, your questions, whatever you got for us here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. I want to start the show today talking about our impressions of Auburn's 77 to 54 win over Moorhead State and Lance I went into the studio today with you to your place of work and the first thing that I said to you is exactly what you were thinking we're on the same page as this so tell everybody how are we feeling about this ball game and don't change it up on me you're gonna make me look bad we both agree that this was not an overly impressive performance is what I would say. It was not an impressive performance. I think from, it was an impressive performance, but I don't think they played great. That's what I mean. It's like it wasn't overly dominant. Like for the, for the first half, uh, for the first 15 minutes or so of that game, at some point it was 30-6. to six. Obviously, It was 35-6 to six at one point. It was Auburn, a football score. Auburn was doing a lot of things right. But as the game went on in the second half, at one point there was like a 12-minute stretch where Moorhead State was was getting into the groove offensively and Auburn wasn't really doing a whole lot. And then Auburn kind of pulled away late. So overall, it was a good performance from the Tigers, but it wasn't overly dominant. 
and that's two games in a row now where we've seen Auburn's talent, I feel like, just kind of carry them over the hump, but there are definitely a lot of positive things to take away from this. This is not me saying, oh, well, I don't have any faith in this team. No, I think this team could, could go a very, very long way. Let me rephrase it a little bit here because I do think it was an impressive performance and you saw how talented Auburn was, but I think Auburn can play a lot better than they did last night yes. in one particular area. Auburn played better than they did in the exhibition game, but I still don't think this team played well in the half-court offense on Tuesday night. They were making a lot of contested jumpers. That's how you got out to that 35-6 to lead. And we know with our experience in watching Auburn basketball, those shots aren't always going to fall. They're going to fall against Moorhead State. They may not fall against Arkansas. They may not fall against Alabama. That's not to say that this team isn't incredibly talented and that they didn't play well last night. They played well last night. I just think they can kick it to another level, and I think this is an area that they can improve in. When the game slowed down into the half court for about 16 minutes, that time period where we saw Moorhead State cut the Auburn lead from 29 to 14, that time period where Moorhead State was clearly playing better than Auburn, and that was from the last five minutes of the first half to about midway through the second half, and then Auburn obviously put it away over the last 10 minutes. That time period, Auburn wasn't looking great in the half court, and they weren't getting a ton of open shots, but their talent helped them to bury a lot of contested shots. With that being said, there's no need to panic, and I don't want people to think that we're being negative here. I'm being objective in what I saw last night. It's the first game of the season, and four of the five players in the starting five are learning a new system and a new offense. All of these guys are still trying to develop chemistry. There's a lot of new lineups out there. Bruce Pearl is still trying to figure out which of these lineups work. You look across the board, there's a lot of reasons for why we are still seeing a worse product in the half court mm-hmm. than what you would like to see but it's game one and they're going to get better at it and if you had to say something that has been a negative in Auburn basketball over the last five six years it is that half court offense when things slow down a little bit so this isn't strange to me but the thing is what we did see last night is when this team is playing elite defense and when this team can get out and run they're as good as anybody in college basketball, and they're extremely talented. Absolutely. When you look at this half-court offense, I think there was there were moments, especially in the exhibition game, where it really slowed down on Auburn, and it, it seemed like they were having trouble just finding anything. They were just kind of passing the ball around. There was high, there was pressure high on the guards, and that's the way you stop a Bruce Pearl offense. But I will say, I think the chemistry is something that is going to continue to build, and I think we saw a jump from the exhibition game to this game. One hundred percent. There's there stats was, to tell you that there, there was improvement in the half-court offense. But like you said, if there's a weakness that we wanted to point out, a negative, it is that half-court offense. Well, something tells you that this team is developing chemistry when you look and you see that they only had six turnovers. Right. They protected the basketball really well. So, you know, on the one hand, that's an area where you can say this team, obviously, with all of the stuff that we heard during the preseason and their practices and how often they were turning the basketball over, and I know this was Moorhead State, but this was a physical basketball game. And Moorhead State tried to force just as many turnovers as Auburn was trying to force. They may have not have taken Auburn full court up the floor because, once again, talent beats talent right there. Auburn would have really burned them in that case but Auburn protected the basketball really well it just had six turnovers that was refreshing to see when you looked at how many turnovers Auburn had last year at so many of their basketball games but on the flip side an area where you can say this is a sign that Auburn still needs to develop more chemistry in the half court is the fact that Auburn only had 12 assists last night now a 12 to 6 assist to turnover ratio which is 2 to 1 I'll take that that's not horrible I would just like to have seen more open shots in the half court once again 
Auburn played well last night. Auburn shot the basketball really well for about half the ball game. And the other half of the ball game, it was enough to bring Auburn's percentages down a lot. Mm-hmm. Auburn finished the day shooting just 45, 46%. And many people may not know this, but they only made two threes in the second half. And they finished the day shooting 29% from three. Mm-hmm. It certainly doesn't feel like they shot 29% from three, considering how hard, how hot they were to open up the ball game. But they only shot 29% from three last night. And that's because for about 15 minutes of the game, they were pretty cold. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. I, I want to bring a stat up here. Uh, this is from Justin Ferguson, who we're actually going to have on later in the show. 240 Division One basketball teams played Tuesday, and Auburn was the only team to not have a single non-steal turnover. All six were Moorhead State steals of the turnovers that Auburn had. No passes out of bounds, no offensive fouls, no travels. It was really clean basketball. But like you mentioned, there were just not a lot of shots going down whenever Auburn wanted to operate in the half-court offense. Like you just mentioned, they were only 29% from three after starting the game off incredibly hot. They were finishing, what, like like you said, 46% from uh, overall from the field. And something that I think might become a little bit more of an issue later on in SEC play is free-throw shooting. I don't know if there's a lot of really good free-throw shooters on this team. Auburn was only 57%. There were four of seven. Uh, if you don't get a, the the opportunity to shoot a lot of free throws, I'm not going to like condemn you because that's just that's seven free throws you've gotten to shoot so far. But I think that more volume will get to will, will indicate what type of free throw shooting team this is. I agree with that. And to be fair, though, they started out 0 for three, yeah. which may just be attributed to jitters. Of course, yeah. Walker Kessler, his two free throws to open up the ball game, they weren't bad shots, they weren't bad misses, they rimmed out. And then I think you can look at Zepp Jasper missing his first free throw and saying, "Man, you just need to see a." A ball go through the hoop and sometimes those opening game jitters that could have affected that from that moment on they were four for four though Mm -hmm. right so across the rest of the basketball game they did I think clean that up but you're right there wasn't a high volume of free throws in this basketball game here's why I brought all this up and why I want people to be certain that I'm not being negative here I just think this is it's reasonable to bring this up here's why Auburn's incredibly talented and the fact that they beat this other team by 24 points and I don't think they played that great in the half court offense that tells you how talented they are but what happens when you play Arkansas Alabama Tennessee Kentucky and those teams are just as talented as you are and you have the cold shooting stretch or the less hot of a shooting stretch that Auburn had for 10 to 15 minutes you don't win basketball games that way and there are teams in this league like Kentucky like Tennessee that do want to play this game at a slower pace and want to bring it into the half court and if Auburn can't score in the half court at an efficient pace or if they can't ratchet it up against those teams forcing a lot of turnovers and being able to get out and run we can see Auburn struggle against some of those teams this year if these things don't improve once again I go back to it's game one this is the baseline performance that we have to go off of I do think Auburn will improve in this area I think Auburn's going to be an excellent basketball team and I think if you look at the talent and what you saw last night that's another one of my takeaways is you can see this team is extremely talented last night was a great starting point for them and they're going to be really stinking good when it's all said and done they just have that one area on this team that they need to improve in and if they do man I don't I don't know what's going to stop them this year that's exactly right. That's what I was going to say is I don't think that this is the floor for this team, but it, if in terms of it being a starting point, I mean, if you can continue to build off of this performance, you're going to have a lot of success against 
teams that are more talented or as talented as you down the line, like you're mentioning, games against Alabama, Kentucky, Tennessee, Arkansas, even teams like LSU and Mississippi State, I think Auburn's going to have to be able to get out of these shooting slumps, and they're going to have to be able to operate in the half-court offense a little bit better. And again, for me... What does it go back to? It's chemistry, and it's not like the the off court chem- chemistry. Like these guys love each other as their as their brothers, and you know they're close to each other. I mean that on on the court chemistry. They've not gotten the opportunity to play with each other in a in a live setting like this, an official live setting. Why? Because they've only played one game. So as the season progresses, and we know this as Auburn fans, Pearl's going to have this team ready to play come February and March. I think we're going to get to that point. But like you said, this is the one thing right now that I think is holding Auburn back from truly unlocking their potential. And I, maybe I would say the other thing is Alan Flanagan needing to come back. But other than that, this team has a lot out in front of itself and this was a fantastic starting point and going along with this first point that we're talking about with this half court offense the next time that you will get to see Auburn play or the first time really this season that you're going to get to see Auburn play one of those teams that wants to slow down the game and put you in the half court and actually has the dudes to do it and honestly probably has the front court to battle Auburn and bang with Auburn down low that's going to be in the bad boy mowers battle for Atlanta's first round game against UConn coming up Thanksgiving week. Their next three games are against really bad teams. Their next two games are against really bad teams. And Louisiana Monroe, who got beat by 62 points last night against LSU. And then South Florida's not good either. Those teams are not going to be able to bang with Auburn down low. UConn, they play a brand of basketball that wants to slow things down a little bit. They're going to try and make you have to get into the half court offense. And they got some front court guys that I think can run with Auburn too. And so that's going to be the first look at how this team plays against truly another team that's at least in the same ballpark of basketball skill I think Auburn's vastly more talented than UConn but UConn is ranked to start this season that's a top 25 matchup in the first round of the battle for Atlantis that's when you're going to see it and you're going to see it all across that week because there are a lot of good teams in that tournament I mean Auburn plays the winner of Loyola Chicago and Michigan State right or the loser of Loyola Chicago Michigan State and then after that on the other side of the bracket it's just as difficult I I can't off the top of my head remember the other four teams on the other side of the bracket but Syracuse is on the other side there are good teams Arizona State I think is one I might be wrong I think VCU is so maybe we've got three of those four teams but the other side of the bracket is still just as difficult you are not going to play a bad team in the Bahamas when that rolls around thanksgiving week and so you're going to learn a lot about this Auburn team when that comes around and you hope that over the next two games Auburn gets themselves in a better place in the half court offense but I still think this team's incredibly talented I think you could see that that's my second impression of last night's ball game over Moorhead State Auburn is extremely talented something looked different about this team not just compared to last year's team but also compared to the final four team and I'm not trying to get too far ahead of myself here but When have we ever seen guys like Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler strutting up and down the floor? And I know if you look at Walker Kessler's stat line, you only see six points, five rebounds. You also see five blocks, and you see the length that he has. Walker Kessler is a different type of rim protector than we've seen at Auburn over the years. Yep, He's better than Austin Wiley. Mm -hmm. He is. And, of course, both of those guys were highly sought-after recruits, but you see Jabari Smith, and it's obvious 
that the guy is different than everybody else on the floor. He didn't have a high volume of shots. He didn't finish with an awesome stat line. He finished with eight points, I think six rebounds, so a good debut. But as he becomes more comfortable in the college game and as he becomes more confident, the Tumo Kiki type of development arc, hopefully it happens in his first year instead of his second. But as he begins to realize, oh, hey, I'm amazing. I can do these things. You're going to begin to see him score at a much higher volume, and that's going to take this team to a higher level. Because I think Jabari Smith is one of those players where, at six foot ten, and with the release that he has, very few players in college basketball can contest his jump shot, even if they're standing in front of him, because he rises above them and their outstretched arms. And you saw him be able to show that at the three point line and on the baseline. Jabari Smith is somebody that looks different. Also, you talk about how deep this team is. When you've got Dylan Cardwell, Jalen Williams, and Katie Johnson coming off the bench, and that's just to name a few, you see how deep this team is. Alan Flanagan's still going to come back at midseason. That's probably going to move Devin Cambridge to the bench. Devin Cambridge looked great last night. When you look at how deep this team is, man, Leor Berman was playing in the first five minutes of the game, right? And I still think he's got a lot to contribute to this team, at least from a three-point shooting perspective. And I think that's why Bruce had him out there. I hate the fact that he airballed last night when he shot it, but I think he's got a lot to offer. This team is so deep. And the fact that they didn't play their best game yesterday and they still beat the other team by 24 and they were draining a lot of contested shots, that shows you how talented this team is. So that's the other side of the coin with what we were talking about with the half-court offense. Absolutely, and I, I've got some I've got some things I want to say about Smith and Kessler. But real quick, let's get to the phone lines. Three three four three two one thirteen ninety is the number to dial. And Dan is on the line with us. What's up, Dan? Hey guys, y'all doing all right? We're yes, doing sir. great. Yeah, um, I was at the game. I was at the exhibition game, and then I obviously got to go to this game. And uh, at first, I, when I saw the exhibition game, I was really worried about Wendell Green because you know, all the hype I'd heard about him, you know. And then uh, that first game, he, you know, he had a lot of turnovers and. You know, it was struggling a little bit, and then of course his last this last game, you know, he starts. I mean, shooting some really deep bombs, and I mean, he's he's cracking the net, <laughs> and then and then he showed the rest of his game shooting inside out. So I feel ten times better about that. But the the big thing is like what you were saying with with uh, Kessler. I I can't remember a center in my lifetime that has his type of ability down low. I mean, he has five blocks, but there was at least five other shots that he totally made them shoot bad shots mm-hmm. because, I mean, he has got such a great ability at, at, at reach. I mean, he obviously at 7-1, that's going to help a ton. But, but uh, you know, it, it allows our, our guards to play really aggressive knowing that you got shot blockers back there that are that good. And in the first half, we were playing super aggressive, and then, uh, you know, uh, um, Jasper got in foul trouble. I think right now we're kind of, we kind of have three actual guards and then I really think if Cambridge keeps playing well, because he is playing pretty well, and the same thing with Jalen, I think that that Planning is going to come back and probably be the fourth guard. I mean, he'll be, he might be the second guard, but he'll be one of in the guard rotation a lot of the time, and that's just going to make it even harder. With, I mean, with our, I mean, better with our defense because it just goes to show when we play really aggressive defense we can cause all types of havoc, and we just haven't been able to do that. We just haven't had enough guys. I mean, you know, Bruce has always talked about playing that aggressive full-court defense, but this team, when when they wanted to in the beginning of the game, that was like some of the best defense I've seen in a long, long time. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, they were in your face. They were everywhere. Every time the guy caught the ball, there was a guy right up on them, you know, 
and obviously you want to have control defense. We had a couple, you know, fouls we probably shouldn't have gotten, but um, but I, it just shows you what this team can do on defense, and and defense is where you're. You know, you go on the road, that, that's what keeps you in games. And so, you know, I think the offense is, is definitely going to come around. You know, it's already pretty good, but but I think, you know, once we start learning that, how to play better as a team, it'll get even better and better. But, uh, but I mean, you know, that first half, it looked like the other team couldn't figure out how to score. I yeah. mean, they were, they were just, <laughs> that I mean, defense is special. It, yeah. I mean, and you know, yeah, look, we got a little tired out, I and mean, I think having that extra guy would definitely help. Yeah. And, of course, our guys get in a little bit better shape, but uh, you know, but it, it's it's going to be a fun team. I mean, it's it's easy for the crowd to get excited when you're defending like that. Oh yeah, Dan, but, we got to head to a anyway, quick break, my man. Appreciate the call. Bye. That was Dan on the line with us. Brad, stay on the line as well. We will be back on the other side of this break to take your call here on On the Line. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Auburn beats Moorhead State 77-54. We're talking about that here on the Wednesday edition of the show, as well as Auburn football. We're taking your calls as well. Questions, comments, takes, whatever is on your mind in the sports world. And waiting patiently for us on the phone lines. We appreciate it. We got Brad with us. Brad, how's it going today? Great. How are y'all doing? We're doing real well. What's on your mind? Uh, at the um, exhibition game and also the, the game last night, there's certainly there was a marked improvement last night versus the, the Friday night um, uh, exhibition game. The, the, the one thing that, that just kind of stood out to me, and, and um, I, don't, I haven't heard anybody say anything yet, about, but I'm, I'm glad that Walker Kessler is here. He, he's, he's a great defense. He's a great shot blocker. But that's, that board does not need to be out shooting three-point shots. I mean, he's 0 for 6 out of, from the from the um, exhibition game. And then last night, I think he was 0 for 3 last night. So mm-hmm. somebody has got to get his attention and say, son, you're 7 foot 1. The, the only time you go north of that foul line is to run to the other end of the bench and, or other, other end of the court and play defense. Don't, don't get out there with a three-point land. That, that's, that's, not your, that's not your area. And why, to me, somebody on that coaching staff doesn't kind of pull them off to the side and say, listen, hey, you've tried it, you know, you're not successful with that, but get down, get down low and let's throw the ball to you and, and we'll feed you all day long. I don't disagree with you there with how much he was shooting it over these first two ball games. If the shot's not there in the game, then stop pulling the trigger during that game. But from everything we've heard in practice – and I think this is why the coaching staff hasn't told him that. But if he continues to shoot poorly, I'm with you. Quit taking the shot. So I don't disagree with you. But I think the reason why they haven't done that is because in practice, I think he's drilling them. I also think that the way that this uh, coaching staff lets their offense operate, Bruce Pearl said is like, look, we are having a lot of freedom early in the shot clock. If you want to take a shot, take a shot. But once you get into your set, you get into your set and you're not going willy-nilly and we're not letting you just fog one up. With guys like Walker Kessler, I think letting him take those shots, and I don't disagree with you. I don't think he should be shooting them much at all, if if at all. That was one of the first things Lance said to me today. <laughs> uh, is, is I don't think Katie Johnson and Walker Kessler should be shooting as many threes as, as they were. But with Kessler, it's like I think they're trying to keep him happy. And then also, like you said, maybe he's making them in practice. So who knows? But I agree with you. I don't think he should be shooting them much at all. Yeah, well, there, there were a couple times last night when the, when the shot clock was running down and, and and the 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 guard actually threw it to Kessler to to take the, that last second shot, 
at, at the three, and you're thinking, you know, guard, why didn't you take the shot? Because there's a higher probability that, that you're going to make it versus versus him. He mm-hmm. he just doesn't need to be down. He, he needs to be getting in position to, to, to get a rebound and, and to put it back in if, if it's missed. So that, that's that's just the one thing. It just, it just drives me crazy to, to see somebody with that size out there. And, and this is not the – I mean, it, it, I guess it's been a, a characteristic of some of Bruce Pearl's teams that he's, he's he lets a lot of uh, – in the past, a lot of the big guys get out there and, and start shooting. I, I, keep, I keep thinking of uh, – what's the guy? Uh, Anthony McLemore? Yes, yes. I mean, good God. Even Stretch Akimbola, they've said he's developed a three-point shot. Now, we didn't see that last night because we hardly saw him play, but there's even more evidence of how often they let big guys shoot that probably shouldn't be shooting the basketball. Stretch even apparently can shoot. Yeah, well, I, I don't know about that. Yeah, but I put apparently in air quotes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, that's that's all I have. Like I said, there, but you, you could tell there was a – it's almost like the exhibition game, especially with uh, Jabari Smith. He he looked nervous. Um, you know, maybe maybe three thousand, thirty-five. How, how many people were there Friday night? That was a bigger crowd than than he's used to playing. You know, in front of, especially coming from Fayetteville or Tyrone, Georgia. But uh, but he he just he just looked nervous uh, Friday. But but he played much better last night. He kind of got more into the flow of of, of the game and and, and some of that. Uh, some of his talent really kind of showed uh, showed through last night. Oh yeah, Brad, we appreciate the call, my man. All right, that was Brad on the line with us. Always enjoy getting calls from folks, especially to talk about basketball. And I think you made a lot of great points there. My only response, and like I said, I think Kessler's making the shots in practice. And if you watched him in the pregame, he was making a lot of threes in the pregame. Now that's a big difference when the lights come on and you're actually playing. You better be making the shots in the actual game. I don't care if you're making them in practice because you can't make them in the game. That's what matters. Right. Yeah, and, and, and again, for for me, both Kessler and Katie Johnson, they were a combined 2 for 11 from behind the arc. And then Johnson shot 5 of 14 from the floor. So honestly, like I'm okay with Katie Johnson taking taking more shots, but with guys like Kessler – Maybe give him one or two a game. I'm not. I'm not letting him shoot four every single time or every single time we go out there and play. Especially when it gets to SEC play. You're talking about playing UConn here in just a, in just a week or so, and how important it is that Auburn's bigs play well in that game. We don't need wasted possessions with Walker Kessler shooting threes either. He's going to have to knock those shots down, or he's going to have to ha- let somebody else take the shot instead. And when they were recruiting Walker Kessler, and all we've heard about Walker Kessler is that he's very capable at shooting that shot. That's why I'm not ready to abandon it just yet. But look at previous Bruce Pearl offensive systems. He loves the pick and fade. He loves that pick and pop with those forwards that can actually shoot it. That's what they did with Anthony McLemore. That's how they used Walker Kessler in the offense a lot. But also don't disagree, he comes from the North Carolina School of Offensive Rebounding. That's one of the best offensive rebounding teams consistently in college basketball. I'd like him down low too, gobbling up boards, because he certainly has the length to do it. On the other side of this break, we got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. We'll talk to him about the basketball game as well as what's coming up with Auburn football here on On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Lance Dawn with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. It's been a fun show so far today, actually talking about real live college basketball. 
as well as Polo. <laughs> we got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer with us. Justin, how's it going today, my man? I'm all right. How are you? We're doing really well, and we're breaking down our impressions of Auburn's 77-54 to win over Moorhead State. We haven't gotten to talk about the defense as much as we would have liked to, and I'll say this defense is stupid good. What's your takeaways from what you saw on that side of the basketball? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, this this Auburn team last season had really good uh, rim protection, was a good blocking team. Uh, but then you add a guy, Walker Kessler, who is seven one. So not only is he one of the biggest players around, but he's such a good, you know, shot blocker because of his, his size and his length. He doesn't have to commit to to blocking shots. You know, he can stay, he can keep his feet against against players, and then and, and you know, really only go up when he absolutely has to uh, to get a block and. Uh, when you have that kind of rim protection behind you, and it's not just Kessler, uh, you know, it was, you know, when you have um, when you have the likes of Stretch Akinbola, who got a few minutes last night, Dylan Cardwell, Jalen Williams is a good rim protector. You've got some you know, wings and some forward Jabari Smith, obviously, you got some wings uh, also that like to get involved in that as well, kind of crashing on the backside. You can gamble a little bit more in the in the backcourt. You can be, you know, aggressive. And last night we saw. Uh, a lot of steals from Auburn. Um, a lot of different guys kind of getting their hands in the passing lanes and getting involved in that backcourt. Really got to crank up the pressure because if you play really, really tight on ball coverage and the guy gets past you, well, you have security in knowing that you've got really good rim protection down low in, in case that's a you know in case that's a thing and it, it allows it allows the defenders to play with a little bit more tenacity uh, when you know you have that on the inside. Now sometimes that can kind of you know, come back and bite you. Zep Jasper got in foul trouble, um, you know, in in that game, and you had to play Katie Johnson a little bit more. But you saw it, Katie Johnson, Zep Jasper. Uh, you know, Devin, I, th- I thought Devin Cambridge just looked a lot more locked in on defense. That whole front court, uh, and then even Wendell Green Jr. Defense is not his game. That is not the thing that everybody knows him for right now. And yeah, he played really good defense as well. So I think it just all kind of stacks up on each other. Really excellent effort on defense, uh, and they took a lot of pride in it. There was a lot of passion, thought, in that first 10-minute stretch. Uh, when they got stops, whether it was a steal or a defensive rebound or, uh, you know, forcing a turnover, um, they reacted with a lot of uh, a lot of energy, which is exactly the type of mentality Bruce Pearl likes to have. We're talking about guys playing well defensively on the inside, and when you look at a guy like Walker Kessler, who I believe had five blocks last night, obviously he's been doing some good things defensively, and we were talking about this with a caller just a little bit ago, but offensively, should he be taking as many threes uh, as he had so, has so far through both the exhibition game and this uh, this season opener? Yeah, I think so, just because it opens up your offense more. You know, you have that threat. You don't want him to kind of go away from it. Um, the beauty of this offense is that when it's really clicking, you can have a five-out system that Kessler can, you know, if you're going to leave him open. Now, he's got to start hitting them, but, like, if you're going to leave him open, let him fly. Uh, and, and that is something where, you know, if he becomes more of a threat, you know, then that takes, you know, if you're playing man defense usually, that's going to take their best rim protector, their biggest player usually, out of the paint, it's going to create more lanes uh, coming off. And Kessler's a pretty good, uh, you know, passer from that from that center position as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's really like you know, he he hit, he shot a bunch in the exhibition. He shot a bunch last night. He hadn't hit one. Uh, he didn't hit one last night. But like, you know, he's going to hit them. And uh, and you know, when you do that, it makes it so that this five out offense can kind of really hit its peak form. Um, because if you try to take that away from him and don't let him, you know, he doesn't do that as much. 
defenses can adjust and play a little bit differently down there. Now he's going to be really effective on the inside. That's where he's going to get most of his, you know, make most of his money on the offensive end. But uh, yeah, I mean, early in the season, kind of let it fly, uh, shoot yourself out of a slump or you know, this little mini mini slow start to it. Uh, we've seen it time and time again from Auburn and some of their best teams under Pearl when individual guys are kind of going down in terms of, uh, you know, not, not getting hot in terms of going from deep. Sometimes the best way to just get out of it is just to shoot your way out of it. And right now, I think early in the season, the matchups Auburn's going to play is going to allow them to do that without it necessarily hurting anything. What did you see out of Jabari Smith's debut? Just a really, really efficient all-around game. I mean, he affects, you know, everyone's going to talk about his offense, and for good reason. Um, you know, he has a uh, great stroke, uh, you know, two or three from deep, um, can, you know, moves really well with the ball in his hands for a guy who's 6'10". You know, it's that it's that offensive talent which makes him an elite player, an elite prospect. Um, but but I thought his defense. I mean, he he is. You know, Kessler kind of overshadows it because of how big he is. But like, you know, Jabari Smith, his length and his instincts on defense are also really really good. Gotten you know got quite a few steals, got some blocks as well, um, and then rebounded well. And that's the thing that's kind of struck me. You know, from the exhibition, from. Um, the uh, scrimmage, and then in the season opening game, he takes pride in crashing the glass. He is not a guy, you know, he's not a five-star freshman who's just here to get his points. He's going to do some of the dirty work, and, uh, you know, he uses that length and that size to his advantage. The one thing you probably want to see a little bit more of since he was so efficient from shooting in the game is maybe, all you know, and I don't know which way you want to go with this if you're Auburn, maybe try to get him to be a little more aggressive take some more shots, let that usage rate rate kind of climb a little bit for him. Or, you know, draw some, draw up some more things that are that'll get him some opportunities to shoot. Um, not because, you know, necessarily he needs to be the focal point. I think this is an offense where you have really, really talented players all across the board and, you know, it could be it could be anybody's night, really. But I think the name of Smith's game this season is going to be efficiency. So the more you can kind of creep up that, you know, those shots and those touches uh, in good situations for him, uh, the better. And so I'll be interested to see if he plays with a little more aggressiveness on on offense, or if Auburn makes more of a concerted effort to work the ball to him uh, when he's out there, uh, uh, you know, in a Friday night against uh, uh, UL Monroe. What'd you see out of Auburn in the half court offense? I think early in the game it looked really good. I mean, they they have a you know they have some guys now who can shoot off the dribble. Um, that was one thing they didn't really do much last season. Uh, not really good jump shooters off the dribble or catch and shoot guys. Wendell Green can shoot off the dribble. Katie Johnson obviously has has a has a wide bag of tricks to get his own shot uh, off the bounce. Uh, you know, Zeb Jasper has that in his game as well. Um, and, and you know, even a guy like Jabari can do that. Um, and man, even even you saw Kessler uh, catch it and drive a few times as well. Um, so that's going to be one of those things where, you know, you pass the ball around and uh, it's not working. You got to kick it back out. You got to reset. You've got ball handlers now that are a little bit more comfortable. And you get late in the shot clock that you can pull up and shoot, that you can, um, you know, kind of bail yourself out down the stretch. That's ultimately going to be a, be a good thing. The second half lull on offense, a lot of people making, uh, you know, a lot of that. It was, I think, and according to the players and Bruce Pearl himself after the game, it was kind of a fatigue thing. You know, they were expecting a tighter fight with Moorhead most of the way. This is a really good basketball team that, you know, went to the NCAA tournament last season, won the OVC. Um, you know, they were projected to win by 15, and that was over the Vegas line around around where that was. 
Um, but then they came out and just kind of smoked them early. And a lot of emotion, a lot of energy. It's the first game. You might not be in game shape yet. You might not be in full conditioning what you need to be. And when you exert all that energy and all that uh, effort, and, and it just it takes a toll. And so in the second half, uh, I think they kind of hit a wall a little bit. So it wasn't necessarily they were running things incorrectly or that you know they weren't um, you know trying to do the right things. It's just nothing was really kind of working. I think they hit a wall a little bit. And once those starters came back in there in the second half, and you got to you know break out of it a little bit, um, take some of those long rebounds and turn them into transition uh, spots on the other end, you know that's that's how they kind of worked out of that funk. Um, because I think early on, until this group continues to get more consistency with playing with one another and understanding one another in the half court, they're going to be at their best when they're running and gunning. Um, and credit needs to go to Moorhead State. They are a team that when they take care of the ball, they shoot it really well, they rebound really well, uh, and, and they know what they're doing. You know, they've got a veteran, you know, they've got a coach that's been around a while, they know what to do, and, and they get good shots up in their stuff. And so when they got to kind of dictate the pace of the game and slow it down, uh, they played well. And Auburn, having worn themselves out a little bit earlier in the game, just you know wasn't quite um, you know ready for that kind of slower pace. Switching over to football now, obviously the Tigers taking on Mississippi State this weekend here in Jordan-Hare Stadium. Offensively, I think there are a lot of concerns amongst fans right now. Auburn's not scored a touchdown in over six quarters now. What are the Tigers going to have to do against Mississippi State to kind of rejuvenate uh, the, uh, the, the uh, things going on on the offensive side of the football? Yeah, I think they got to get back to running the football effectively. Um, you know, this is what happened last week against Texas A&M is, you know, uh, your passing game just is not clicking enough to overcome the fact that you can't run the ball consistently. Um, you know, Nick's had uh, a really rough game. Uh, the wide receivers had a really rough game. Um, you know, protection was, you know, more or less okay. They had some very obvious blitz breakdowns that, that hurt Auburn, and they, those kind of loomed large. But one of the big things is that they weren't able to run the ball. This offense wants to have balance. They want to be able to play off of it. And, you know, for whatever reason, whether it was the line or the backs or a combination of the two, they were not able to run the ball very effectively against a very talented and tough and strong Texas A&M defensive front. You play Mississippi State this weekend. State's got a defense that's really, really interesting. Uh, they run our 3-3-5 uh, that Zach Arnett brought with him from San Diego State, big Rocky Wong disciple. Um, so it's more odd front, a little bit more malleable uh, to move some things around a little bit differently than maybe an old Miss does. Well, we've seen Auburn be able to run the ball kind of downhill against some of these teams that run this, you know, this kind of style this season. And if you look at Mississippi State's uh, defense this year, outside of Kentucky, and that game was really, really weird. Kentucky turned the ball over four times, had a punt return touchdown. They only held the ball for like 18 minutes. I didn't didn't have very many plays. Kentucky's really the only team that's been a good running team they've played this season that they've been able to slow down. Bama. Although, you know, they're up and down in running game. Bama ran the ball effectively on them. A&M ran the ball effectively on them. Uh, you even go back to the opener against La Tech. They ran the ball uh, pretty well on them. So if you have a commitment to the running game, you want to make it happen, um, you know, statistics so far this season suggest you can get some movement on this group. And they've got to do that because, you know, if they have to play one-dimensional, um, you know, the, the, the it makes it tougher because I think Auburn – uh, you know, if they try to get into a passing fest against Mississippi State, not only is this defense built to kind of handle that a little bit more, but we've seen in the times where Auburn has struggled this season, like last week, you know, people are getting a bigger book on, 
hey, here's what you do to throw off Bo Nix in the pass game. Here's what you do to defend these receivers. Uh, so, you know, go back to the tried and true, you know, executing, running the ball, getting Tank Bigsby off and running. He had a really good game against State last season. they got to do that again. And then you can feel like Nix and the wide receivers can play off them a little bit more, have some opportunities out in space, and uh, get back to where they need to be. In the Texas A&M game, Bigsby averaged 4.6 yards per carry, which was much better than anybody else who was running the football for Auburn, but just 15 carries. And it's been my belief that he should be touching the football a lot more than he is right now. My question to you is, how many more touches should we be seeing Tank Bigsby get per game right now? Yeah, I think I think Bigsby's a guy you want to get 20 or 25 touches a game at least. Why it did not happen against Texas A&M is because – well, number one, they were in a negative game state for most of that fourth quarter and had to throw the ball, uh, which, you know, really put that out of whack. But number two, go back and look at Auburn's running game. You know, Bigsby and Hunter, and Shivers as well, Auburn did not have consecutive runs of three or more yards against Texas A&M. Like, they would bust a big one or a decent-sized one, not a huge one by any means. I think the longest run they had of the game was 14 yards. Um they would get a good run and then they would follow it up and you know get stuffed or get stopped. And it was just that consistency where it's like you never got into a rhythm with the running game. So you had to open it up to the passing game a little bit more, try to make some plays out in space. But yeah, I mean I think the bigger thing for Auburn is is that you gotta get more consistent with your blocking up front in the running game and move some guys around so that Bigsby can get hot like he did against Ole Miss, like we saw him do it earlier in the season, like we saw him do Last year in several games, he's one of those guys where he gets the hot hand, get out of the way. And you've got Hunter and you've got Shivers that can do it as well and really give you a weapon. But, yeah, I mean, I think Auburn would love to be in game states more often where he gets 20 or 25 touches a game. Uh, but they've got to get into a spot where they're not just running into a wall, you know, and, and it's not like, okay, here's a six-yard run and now here's a one-yard run and a two-yard run. Like, they've got to string together more consistent running uh, plays. And if you do that, then it kind of starts to snowball, and Bigsby's one of those guys that can keep it going. Justin, we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all your great content. AuburnObserver.com, a lot of stuff there this week, Auburn basketball, Auburn football. Uh, we've got film room on what went wrong for the passing game. Uh, you know, did a, did a breakdown of uh, some of the stuff we were talking about earlier about Auburn trying to run the ball against State. Uh, full breakdown of what happened last night between Auburn and Moorhead State in basketball. Going to have more later this week as well from the Yale Monroe game, uh, Mississippi State game, mailbag, podcast, all that uh, good stuff. Uh, AuburnObserver.com. Sign up there. $6 a month or $60 a year. And when you subscribe, you get everything we do sent straight to your inbox. Justin, I appreciate it, my man. I hope you have a great afternoon. All right, man. Y'all too. That was Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer here with us for the Wednesday edition of On the Line. On the other side of this break, we're going to come back. We're going to wrap up our thoughts on Auburn's 77-54 win over Moorhead State. That defense is stupid good. We'll talk about that when we come back. Wrapping up hour number one of the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Got about five minutes left here in hour number one. If you want to call in, 334-321-1390. We're taking your calls for the rest of the show. Phone lines are open. We want to hear from you. Questions, comments, takes that you've got. What were your thoughts on Auburn's basketball game? If you want to talk about Auburn's football game or anything else going on in those two sports, we'll talk about anything happening. Yesterday, there was a lot of great college basketball going on. If you want to talk about Kentucky Duke, Kansas, Michigan State, we'll break it down with you. 
ULM's annihilation at the feet of LSU, whatever you want to talk about it, we'll talk about it here with you on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. I want to wrap up hour number one, though, here, talking about Auburn's defense. This group is special. I think this is going to end up being the best defense. And maybe it's premature to say this. I know it's just one game in. But looking at Auburn's length, it's different with a capital D for defense. Is this is a special group. And I, I don't think I, I don't think you need much more based off of what you saw last night and the length that they've got and the intangibles that they have and the fact that they enjoy what they're doing on the defensive side of the floor. This group is going to be, end up being one of the most special defenses, if not the most special defense ever in Auburn basketball history. I think Justin made a really good point there while we were talking with him. And we talked about this on yesterday's show before Auburn played Moorhead State, is that they were not an incredibly efficient offensive team, but they played the game relatively slow. And when they took shots, I mean, statistically, they would have been second best in the SEC in both percentage from the floor and percentage from three you look at what Auburn did to him held him to 37 percent from the field and held him to 27.8 percent from three they were one for ten from three in the second half of that game that is fantastic that is absolutely fantastic I know they didn't take a lot of shots but they weren't knocking them down either and for Auburn to try and maybe continue that defensive intensity mixed in with the conditioning like you were talking about earlier Noah it was a little bit of a fatigue issue for Auburn if they can mix that in with the with the conditioning and they can play solid defense for a full 40 minutes this is going to be a very special group like you just said Something that comes to mind when we were speaking with Justin Ferguson is that this is not, and you were talking about this earlier off air with me, in the past, defense has built off of what Auburn has done offensively. Right. If Auburn wasn't shooting the ball well, the defense wasn't playing well either. If Auburn was shooting the ball great, their defense was great. That's flipped this year. I think Auburn's offense is feeding and building off of what they're doing on the defensive floor. Yep. There's a picture floating out there on social media of KD Johnson smiling on defense with his tongue sticking out. And I was talking yesterday about how that dude's an absolute dog on defense. He wants to play defense. He wants to be annoying. Everybody on this team wants to play defense. They actually take joy in playing defense. And Justin was talking about that. And I think that's a, a thought that's beginning to prevail around the fan base I don't know if we've seen that before. And and it's not often that you see that in college basketball, that the identity of a team is we like to play defense and we like to annoy just the snot out of you. We want to make you so irritated. And there were so many times in dead ball situations last night, a ball flies out of bounds or something like that, and a Moorhead State player would just like shrug or like point to an Auburn player and just like shake their head like, man, what the heck is going on? These guys take a lot of pride in playing defense. You can't teach that. You can't teach that. That's what makes this group special is they want to do it. They want to. Now, we saw it hurt the offense a little bit because of the energy they have to exhort on the defensive side of the basketball. That hurts you as a shooting team. But, man, Walker's Kessler's arms literally, like the, the, the length of this team is out of this world, literally. Walker Kessler's arms could reach into space and block an asteroid from coming into Earth. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's how long this team is. 17 turnovers on 12 steals. Also, they had eight blocks. I've never seen an Auburn team with this length, and they used it to their advantage last night, and I'm excited to see them get even better. This was just game one. This was just cracking the surface. Imagine what it looks like 15 games from now where we're getting into conference play. Exactly. 
complement the chemistry with athleticism. I think that's what's going to happen. They might be putting a lot of energy into defense, but the athleticism is going to take over on the offensive side of the floor. Like you mentioned, Auburn's length, I think, is also going to be a factor. And then Alan Flanagan is coming back. He's your leader. This team has so much potential. I'm not calling for anything crazy, joking like I was in the offseason. But after seeing this team play, it may be the most talented basketball team I've ever witnessed to play the college game, For it, it, that, at least in terms of in an Auburn uniform, these, these players. they got to stay healthy. But if they stay healthy, man, they're going to be really good when SEC play gets started. we got hour number two coming up at 3 o'clock. Stay tuned. You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you for the Wednesday edition of the show. It's been a fun hour number one, and if you missed any of it, go and find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Talked a lot of Auburn basketball there in hour number one. Also, a big thank you to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us there in hour number one to talk some Auburn basketball. Auburn football as well. We'll have a heavy Auburn football hour number two as it's a report Wednesday here on the show breaking down all of the in-depth statistics and schemes that the Mississippi State Bulldogs will attempt to befuddle Auburn with on Saturday. And I think there are some uncomfortable things to bring up about this ball game coming up on Saturday at least from an offensive perspective for Auburn but we'll get to that later on in the hour we're going to start off hour number two as we do every day making headlines breaking down some of the headlines happening around sports today and let's go across the state to talk about what Alabama basketball did last night they destroyed a good Louisiana Tech team 93 to 64 but I will say the front court battle that I was bringing up although Alabama did destroy them they did struggle with Curtis Lofton and the Louisiana Tech front court and aside from Juwan Gary for the Tide Alabama front court players didn't really do anything last night yeah that's right Kenny Lofton or Kenneth Lofton rather almost had a double double for for La Tech and you look across Alabama's box score Noah Gurley the transfer from Furman he was not doing a whole lot in the post. Charles Bediaco was not doing a whole lot in the post either. So you're right. It was just their Alabama's front court is very young, very inexperienced, and they're not going to have, I don't think, a whole lot of success in the SEC. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see. I know it's only one game, but it was not a good night against what is an undersized Louisiana Tech team. Jawan Gary, of course, posted a double-double for the Crimson Tide, 12 points, 10 rebounds. But going through the rest of the Alabama front court, which I thought could be a concern for Alabama this season. Noah Gurley was one for seven, just three points, one rebound, two assists, and 20 minutes of play. Got into foul trouble. The other forward or center is what it's listed on ESPN. Betty Yako, as you brought him up, he got into foul trouble and he fouled out just five points, three rebounds on two for four shooting, just 11 minutes of play from the starting center for the Crimson Tide. You go into the bench, 
Keon Ambrose, two points, one rebound, two assists, and seven minutes of play. Miles for Alabama had a pretty good day, 11 points across 16 minutes. He was perfect from the floor, three for three from three as well. And Juwan Geary had a really good night, 12 points on six for 10 shooting with 10 rebounds. So a mixed bag there from the front court for, for Alabama. But of course, you look at the guard play, and it was pretty darn good. J.D. Davison came off the bench for Alabama across 26 minutes, had 12 points on three for four shooting, one for two from three, six rebounds, six assists, and that's a backup there. You didn't really get to see Javon Quinterly at all last night. Um, he had, well, excuse me, for some reason they have him listed twice on the Alabama box score. They have him with one minute, and then they also have him with 29. So 30 <laughs> minutes of play there for Javon Quinterly. He had nine points, just two assists. It's not an overly efficient day for Quinterly. And then Shackelford, of course, did Shackelford things at 17 points. He was six for 15 from the floor. But Keon Ellis was the leader in points with 18 points. Almost himself had a double-double. He had 18, 9, and 3 for the Crimson Tide. I just realized it's actually his brother. It's Jaden Quinterly. And then there's Javon Quinterly. There's Jaden Quinterly. Just two Jay Quinterlys. Interesting. As you can tell, I was at the Auburn game last night and not the Alabama game. <laughs> same, same here. But yeah, like you mentioned, the uh, the backcourt for Alabama, obviously Quinterly and Shackelford and then J.D. Davidson off the bench, they're going to play well for the Crimson Tide this year. But again, like I mentioned, looking at this Alabama front court, again, not a lot of experience to speak of. They're going to have to do some growing up very quickly if they're going to get through what is a very difficult non-conference slate, and then they have to get to the SEC slate, which is not going to be very pretty either. Our research division here, Intern Sting, before the show, brought up a statistic that Ken Palm was talking about on Twitter, and he was saying that essentially turnover percentage was down, assists were down. It was one of the lowest scoring nights, if not ever, across college basketball. Alabama was definitely an anomaly last night in terms of what they did passing the basketball. They had 19 assists last night. That's a lot. 14 total turnovers, so still not the assist-to-turnover ratio that you'd like to see, but they had 19 assists, which is seven more than what Auburn had. They shot 50% from the floor, 39.4% from three. They got a lot of offensive rebounds, 16, led to a 51-rebound performance. Alabama did something that a lot of teams in college basketball last night did not do, and they have some really positive offensive statistics there. Alabama, hot to open up the season well I'll tell you another team that was hot in the SEC offensively LSU 101 points against ULM 101 to 39 was the final score LSU had 24 assists in that game you look at Darius Days for LSU a lot of people thought he was going to be a first team all SEC type of candidate he had 30 points and was eight of nine from downtown 11 for 13 from the field Just a fantastic day for the LSU offense. LSU also has a relatively young front court. They're going to have to do some growing up relatively quick as well. Efton Reed, uh, their their new center, he had 16 points. Xavier Pinson, the transfer from Missouri, uh, he's a guard. He was able to get into the action as well a little bit. He had 10-7 last night. Tari Eason is another guy that's going to be playing in the front court for LSU. He had a double-double. He's a sophomore So it's just a lot of young talent across the SEC. And I remember writing an article this time last year, just kind of predicting how the Power Power 6 conferences rather would shake out. And I thought that, and I think a lot of people thought this, that last year was going to be a relatively down year in the SEC. And then we were going to see major growth overall in the conference this season. I think you're already starting to see some of the returning talent and some of the younger talent on all of these SEC rosters really start to blossom early, and I think you're going to continue to see it. 
ULM is Auburn's next opponent, and they lost by <laughs> 62 to LSU. We'll be previewing that game later on this week. But ULM, a rough night to open up their season, just 39 points against LSU. That LSU team, very impressive last night, putting up 101 points on the Warhawks. Just look at some of their statistics. They shot 53% from the floor. 41% from three, out-rebounded ULM 47-26, to had 23 assists, 14 steals. Maybe ULM's just that bad, but LSU looked good last night. Did you see the videos that Will Wade put up on social media yesterday with him dressed up? And maybe he was going for George Washington. It definitely looked like Napoleon, which, which is what I thought was a very interesting outfit choice for him considering the exiles <laughs> for napoleon the multiple exiles and then the hot water that lsu is in as well with him at the helm i just thought that was interesting you didn't see any of that he I kept saying i want you to boot up and then they gave away raising canes to students like the first 500 no nah, i was not gonna scar myself like that having to watch something like that but you were talking about it yesterday and i agree it interesting choice of outfit if it was george washington sure but like you mentioned a couple different times it really looked more like a napoleon and i believe you if he, if, he, if it did. i mean he got exiled twice you know what I mean I don't know if that's the best outfit choice there for a guy who may be in trouble with the NCAA other SEC basketball scores here number 10 Kentucky they were up at halftime on Duke they fall to Duke ninth ranked Blue Devils take down the Wildcats 79 to 71 well look this was a back and forth game I was able to catch most of this basketball game it was really fun really competitive I'll tell you something about Kentucky while they did lose they are way more complete than they were last season and they can actually shoot the basketball just a little bit I know there are only 37 percent from the field for the entire game but they were 38.9 percent from three and that is an area where the Wildcats really struggled last year they're going to have to get that overall field goal percentage up. I know Duke is a really talented team, but overall, a way more complete Wildcats team than what Calipari had last season. You look at a couple of the standouts, uh, Georgia transfer Severe Wheeler, he had 16 points, 10 assists on the night. Oscar Shibway, he had 17 points, 19 rebounds. He's going to be a problem. Front court player for the Wildcats. Transfer from West Virginia, he was, uh, he was pretty good. Kellen Grady, the transfer from Davidson, he had nine points as well. Overall, I think the depth on this Kentucky team is also impressive as to what it was last year. And this team was playing out with C- without uh, C.J. Frederick, who uh, transferred in from Iowa and is a legitimate three-point shooter. So give this team a little bit of time, much like Auburn. I think they're going to develop some chemistry. I think they're going to figure out how to do some things on defense because there were multiple times last night when Duke would just get to the rim and Kentucky didn't know how to stop it. Kentucky or Duke, rather, was, was doing a lot of different things just to simply get the ball inside and Kentucky was getting really confused by it. You give this team time chemistry-wise to develop offensively and defensively, and I think they're going to be a really good squad. Yeah, Duke was a little bit of a mixed bag last night. They shot 51% from the field, but just 7% from three. They were one for 13 on three-point shots. This is not an excellent downtown shooting Duke team, but it is just one game in the books. They got out-rebounded by the Wildcats 44-36, to but here is a jarring statistic for Duke. Just seven assists. Still found a way to win this game, so how much better can this team get? They were playing a good Kentucky team. I don't think this was a bad performance for either of these teams. This was an excellent game, night one. Better than the Kansas-Michigan State game (laughs) that was earlier on in the evening that Michigan State, just not the same team that they used to be. Moving on to our next headline here. The latest college football playoff rankings were released with number one, Georgia, number two, Alabama, number three, Oregon, and number four, Ohio State, landing in the top four. 
And there are some disgruntled people out there, including Sting, not liking Michigan State, being behind Michigan in these rankings. And I kind of want to get into this here. What are some of your takes on the latest college football playoff rankings, guys? Well, I, I just am blown away at the lack of consistency mm-hmm. in the rankings. I think that's what frustrates me the most. I had a long-winded argument with a couple of my friends uh, towards the end of last night and a little bit this morning just talking about it because that doesn't make any sense. I under, And what was more insane to me was the the chairman of the CFP committee. He's like, well, we thought that Michigan, at the end of the day, was a better team than Michigan State. They lost to Michigan State, though. Like, I understand probably the best team doesn't always win. That's actually probably one of the most appealing parts about college football, I think, is that crazy things happen, and the team that is not as talented wins sometimes because of great coaching decisions or a player just makes a great play. They lost, and as long as they have the same record or Michigan has less losses, or sorry, more losses than Michigan State, Michigan State should be above them. And then you can see that, too, right there in the top four. If Oregon's still above Ohio State, solely on the basis of Oregon beating Ohio State earlier in the season. I don't think anybody in the studio would disagree if I said I think Ohio State is playing better football than Oregon is right now. They're playing a lot better football than Much Oregon better is football. right now. Yeah. Eye test tells you that. But, but they Oregon deferred to the result of the game that was played. Up. So why is Michigan higher than a team that beat them 10 days ago? And that game, Oregon-Ohio State, was played two months ago. It was the second yeah. week of the season. We're talking about two weeks ago, something that happened Not even before two this weeks. weekend. Yeah, I mean, it hasn't even been two weeks yet. Another area where I think people can be disgruntled is Auburn folks, I think, can be mad about the fact that Ole Miss is two spots ahead of Auburn. I know Auburn is 6-3 and three and just played a really poor game on the road in College Station, but once again, you go back to results, results have to matter. I don't care if Ole Miss is 7-2, and two, Auburn beat them. I think that's yeah. an area, and there's not a whole lot separating them there. Auburn's 6-3, and three, Ole Miss is 7-2, and two, Auburn beat them by two touchdowns. So I don't really like the fact that Auburn's behind them in the rankings, but it seems like they treated some teams where they lost. It seems like they treated this like an AP poll in some ways, and they treated it like the college football playoff ranking should be in other ways, like the right. Oregon-Ohio State right. in the top four. They got that right, but in other places, it seems like they treated it like the AP poll. Michigan State loses to Purdue by 11. Oh, we got to drop them. And so they drop them below Michigan, but I'm just like, they beat Michigan. And the yeah. same thing with Auburn. Auburn loses to A&M who was ranked 14th in the rankings last week. Auburn was 13. I don't know if losing to A&M the way that they did justifies dropping Auburn behind someone that they beat just two weeks ago. I agree. I think the inconsistency is something that I'm really frustrated with, although I will say I don't like the way, like you just mentioned, that the committee treats this sometimes like the the AP poll, but I, I, I will still say you know, losing to Purdue by 11 is not a good look. And I know that that is deserving of dropping a team. If you're going to lose on the road to an unranked Purdue team by that margin, you should be dropped in the rankings. But I also agree. I think it is a little frustrating and a little confusing that Michigan is somehow above them after losing to the Spartans. I think what the committee is holding on to, and this is, I don't think this is correct. I'm just, I'm just, just, just spitballing here. I think what the committee's holding on to is at the end of the day, they think that Michigan is still a better football team on a neutral field. And I think you look at that Michigan State game, and I would probably agree. I think Michigan's a better football team on a neutral field. I said that last week. But, like Sting said, and like you said, results have to matter at some point. Michigan State did beat the Wolverines. They should be ranked higher than Michigan right now, at least in my opinion. My other take that I have about these rankings, 
Of course, there's a lot of people angry about Cincinnati being on the outside and Alabama still being number two. And Sting and I had a long discussion about this before the show started. And kind of jokingly, I said to him, and he agreed with me on this, I defend their rankings better than the committee defends their rankings on live television. But Alabama does deserve to be number two right now in my mind, and I have no problem with that. But all of these people complaining about how Alabama looked against LSU, keep that same energy after you've seen Cincinnati lose at least in my mind, in terms of style points, have you seen them play the way they have to really bad competition over the last three weeks? Tulsa, Navy, Tulane, those are bad football teams. A lot worse football teams than LSU. LSU and Tulsa are in vastly different universes as far as talent is concerned. Tulsa's not trotting out the pass rush that LSU's got. And so Alabama's struggling against LSU, who was a 4-4 four and four team at the time, is vastly different to me than Cincinnati struggling with a Tulsa team that had a losing record, a Tulane team that was 1-6, and six, and a Navy team that had just went one win at the time as well. Keep that same energy, though. If you're going to be upset about Cincinnati being at 5, but you're going to complain about Alabama being at 2, like just keep that same energy because I don't think either of those teams... Just be consistent. If you've got a problem with the way Alabama's playing, you should definitely have a problem with the way Cincinnati's playing against much inferior competition i also want to point out you know cincinnati has three games left on their schedule and i don't want to say that any of these are guaranteed wins based on the way that like you mentioned we've seen them play against bad teams they've got to play on the road against south florida who is like what two and seven right now they're just not a good football team still play football still they're offensively they have the firepower to compete with a team like cincinnati and the reason I say that is because we've seen Cincinnati stoop to the level of some of these worst, these uh, these really poor American athletic teams. You also have to play SMU. They're no slouch. You also have to go on the road and play East Carolina, and three of their four losses have come by less than a score. So I'm just saying right now Cincinnati still has the opportunity on the table to really mess some things up, but they also have the ability to win out. And even if they do win out, I still don't think that the schedule and the way that they've played up until this point, regardless of what they, they do in these final three games, warrants a college football playoff berth. Even if they blow them out, I'll say this. They need help. And this is mm-hmm. my final take about the college football playoff rankings after last night as the, polls, as the puzzle begins to come together a little bit. Oklahoma's resume, if they win out, is going to be better than Cincinnati's at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And that could really damage Cincinnati's playoff hopes. Sure, folks out there right now may be saying Oklahoma's at eighth. Are they really a part of this conversation? Yes. Yes, they are. And here's why. They will have the opportunity to claim three more ranked wins before the season ends. They get to play number 13, Baylor, number 10, Oklahoma State over the next three weeks. And then they'll play a ranked Big 12 team at the Big 12 championship game, whether it is Oklahoma State or whether it's Baylor or somebody else comes rushing in from the outside looking in right now. That team, I would assume, will be ranked, albeit it may be lower than what Baylor and Oklahoma State are ranked right now, but they will still get that opportunity, whereas Cincinnati will not get that opportunity. No one is going to be ranked on Cincinnati's schedule from here out. They will not play another ranked team. So I'm with you. They're not going to have that opportunity to earn themselves in like Oklahoma will here's the thing this is what Cincinnati needs to get into the college football playoff and and tell me if you guys agree Sting I know you do Lance I want to know what your thoughts are on this Cincinnati needs Notre Dame to keep winning that's one thing they need that win to be as sexy as possible I know you hate it but they need Notre Dame to keep winning they also need all of these things to happen they need Ohio State Oregon and Oklahoma to lose all three of those teams have to fall and here's my reasoning on that 
Oregon and Ohio State lose, you free up two spots in the top four right here, right now, right? Those right. teams will not make it. They'll have their second losses. I don't think a two-loss Oregon or a two-loss Ohio State team get in. But is there a chance at that point, if Ohio State loses, who did they lose to? Did they lose to Michigan State or Michigan? Regardless, whoever beats Ohio State down the stretch here, I think they finish with one loss. I don't see them losing to whatever terrible team comes out of the Big Ten West, whether it is Minnesota who just lost to Illinois by a touchdown or whether somehow Purdue finds their way there because they needed the help. Minnesota needed to lose to put Purdue in that situation. Purdue could make it still. I know. I think they still have to play Ohio State as well. They do so, this weekend, yeah. Yeah, tough schedule for Purdue here down the stretch. But regardless, a bad team is coming out of the Big Ten West. It could be Iowa still, and we've seen how they've played in recent weeks. They have fallen off the face of the earth. So my thing is, one Big Ten team is going to come out with one loss. So that takes the third playoff spot. If Oklahoma loses with where they're currently ranked right now, I think they're going to have a hard time getting in over an undefeated Cincinnati team because and granted this is me hoping that the committee's consistent but if oklahoma were to lose right now yeah i know that that's good that should be a hot key is <laughs> oklahoma right now is nine and oh and they are four spots or three spots excuse me behind cincinnati in the rankings they're telling you that this oklahoma team is worse than a one loss michigan team a one loss michigan state team and they're worse three spots they're three spots worse than cincinnati so that tells me if oklahoma is a one-loss team at the end of the year, and Cincinnati's undefeated. Cincinnati's getting in. So with Ohio State and Oregon being recused from the conversation and Oklahoma taking a loss here, I think that's the only way that Cincinnati gets in there because, once again, I go back to there's going to be a one-loss Big Ten team there. I don't know if it's going to be Ohio State, but if it's not Ohio State, it's going to be Michigan or Michigan State. That team's going to take the second, the, the the third playoff spot, excuse me. And then if Oklahoma loses, that opens the door for, for Cincinnati. But if Oklahoma doesn't lose, I think Oklahoma's in because as stated earlier, Oklahoma's going to pick up three more ranked wins. Cincinnati will pick up zero in the event if that occurs. I agree with everything you said there about Cincinnati's path to the playoff. I don't disagree with any of that. I will say, though, just talk about Notre Dame, I really hope they don't win out and somehow the committee's <laughs> looking at them as that potential number four team at the end of the season if Cincinnati were to mess up. Or, or or something crazy might happen to where Notre Dame was somehow They're not good higher. either. Because they are not a good football team. I think that you, you have to take into account statistics and results and different things like that. But the, the eye, eye test, test is so important. And I think that whenever you look at a team like Cincinnati and you look at a team like Oklahoma, that's the reason why they aren't inside the top four right now. As good as their records may be, they are not they're based on watching them play football they are not one of the four best teams in college football ninth ranked notre dame at virginia who is six and three. Oh, i'm picking that upset <laughs> notre dame five and a half point favorites on the road against a virginia team that knows how to throw the football with armstrong 3557 yards for the virginia quarterback and we still have three more games left in the season he's got 27 touchdowns to eight interceptions virginia's got the offensive firepower to upset them the question is do they have the defense they give up 31 points a game or as notre dame's given up just 22 and they had some poor performances in the first couple of weeks of the year so that'll tell you how good the notre dame defense is playing right now we'll take a quick break when we come back we're going to get into report wednesday take a look at the mississippi state bulldogs and how auburn matches up with them stay tuned you're listening to on the line About 30 minutes left in the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. It's a report Wednesday on the show. We're getting to this a little bit later than we typically do, but that's a great thing because that means college basketball is back. 
We talked a lot of college basketball here, there in that first hour. And I think Auburn fans, based on how many callers that we had about basketball, I think Auburn fans may be a little bit more excited about basketball at this point than maybe they are about football, especially after last week's debacle in College Station, a 20-3 to loss for the Tigers makes me a little uncomfortable about an 11 a.m. kickoff against the Mississippi State Bulldogs. But on the flip side, if you needed motivation to be up for an 11 a.m. kickoff game, it's last week's loss. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's going to be a bounce-back type of week for the Tigers. It's also going to be a little bit of a bounce-back week uh, for Mississippi State after such a heartbreaking loss against Arkansas. I believe uh, Mississippi State's kicker missed a field goal uh, to take that game to overtime, twenty-one to thirty or twenty-eight to thirty-one was the final score there. Darn yeah. soccer players! <laughs> I saw Levi tweeted that out. I was like, "Get them out of my game, man!" Like, what are, what are we talking about here? But yeah, Mississippi State is going to pose uh, some some issues for for Auburn. I think specifically uh, for well, we're going to talk about Auburn's offense, but I think defensively for Auburn, I think they there could be some issues just based on the fact that Auburn gives up a lot of completions, which we'll get into later. But Talking about this team, Mississippi State overall, they've had kind of an up-and-down season. They've been really difficult for me, at least, to peg where they are. I think we've now gotten an indication as to kind of where they're going to fall in the SEC standings. But early on, you know, they would lose to a team like Memphis, and then they they turn around and beat A&M. And we all know what A&M has done up until this point. They've just been all over the place in terms of, like, oh, we're going to beat this team, but we're going to lose to this team. And, you know, they they lose to teams like LSU and – I just don't know what to really expect out of them this weekend against Auburn. And we're going to talk about the matchup here uh, throughout the back half or half hour of the show. But it's just for me, there are a lot of questions heading into this game, both about Auburn and about Mississippi State. And Mississippi State does have some impressive wins on their schedule with some hindsight involved there, of course. I mean, Kentucky was ranked 12 when they beat them two weeks ago. And mm-hmm. they beat A&M when they were ranked 15th back on October 2nd. I'm not as concerned about the Mississippi State offense and the giving up completions because as we'll talk about this in our next segment, a lot of teams give up completions to Will Rogers. They're actually content to do that. He's hardly ever blitzed. He's only blitzed like 20% of the time. Folks drop back into coverage and they're content to contain. They're going to give up a lot of completions. He's going to complete about 75 to 80% of his passes against Auburn probably. But here's the reality. Even with that being the truth for Mississippi State this year, they're five and four so they've still lost four games this year including to a team like memphis with other teams being content to give up 75 percent 80 percent completion percentages so i don't think that's the part that concerns me the most what concerns me the most is i think this mississippi state defense is sneaky good I think that's I think that's maybe where my concerns with uh, with Auburn's defense lies is if Auburn's not able to put together a competent offensive performance, which they weren't for a half against Ole Miss and they weren't at all against Texas A and M against a solid Mississippi State defense. If they're not able to do that, it, what if Mississippi State just elects to kind of control the clock and just dink and dunk? Twenty four points could be enough to win this game for either team. Exactly. So it, it, that's maybe my concern is that the the offensive concerns for me for Mississippi State's offense maybe stems off the fact that Auburn might not be able to sustain a ton of drives in this game and we'll talk about Mississippi State's offense and their defense later on in the show on the other side of this break we'll get into some of those in-depth statistics pro football focus numbers SEC stat cat what Mississippi State wants to do on offense how Auburn might try and defend it all that and more coming up on the other side of this break Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. 
Report Wednesday here on On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you in the studio on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. 30 minutes left in the show. We're taking your calls. 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Let's break down the Mississippi State Bulldogs scheme. Auburn, Mississippi State, putrid kickoff time. 11 a.m. Bring your blankets, your nightcaps. It's going to be early. It's going to be awesome. Am I going to be awake? <laughs> No. Yes. Yes, I will. I'll be in the house. 11 a.m. Yeah, I'll be there as well. Uh, So looking at this Mississippi State offense from a schematic standpoint, and you've got some numbers from PFF as well, but looking at SEC StatCat, what they have run the most, obviously they're an air raid team. They like to run crossing routes. Wait, what? Believe it or not. Yeah. They're an air raid team? Hey, guess what? That should also be a hot key sting. Dan Mullen is no longer here. They are no longer running Nick Fitzgerald up the middle 30 times a game. It's different now. We'll just get a bunch of hotkeys with my reactions. We'll have one that's like, ha and then, huh? And one like, just, oh. just What's the air raid? Tell me about it. <laughs> the air raid is where you throw the football a lot. You don't really run it, essentially. That's, a, that's about as basic as it gets. So looking at the different things they like to do within the air raid, they don't really like to stretch the field a whole lot. They like to run rub routes. They like to run mesh, crossing routes, screens is a big factor of this offense. So what downs. you're telling me is it's either three yards in front of the line of scrimmage or behind it. Yes, they are not attacking down the field very often, and they're not running the ball very often. And if they are running the ball, it's inside zone read, and that's about it. So that's Mississippi Mississippi State's offense. To be honest with you, it kind of reminds me of the way that LSU operates their offense, except LSU attacks just a little bit more down the field. There's more verticality in that offense, yeah. at least when they had Kayshawn Boutte, there was. <laughs> Not anymore, obviously. So, yeah, LSU and Mississippi State somewhat similar, but Mississippi State prefers to keep things closer to the line of scrimmage, and that's an interesting way to operate the air raid. I know that different teams like Texas Tech and obviously like LSU with Kayshawn Boutte, and even when Mike uh, even when Mike Leach was at Washington State, I feel like they attacked downfield just a little bit more I don't think they have the talent to do it yet nor do I think Will Rogers has the arm strength to do it with consistency now I do think he has taken the next step this season in this scheme it is a better product offensively this year also think other players around him have taken the next step Mike Leach has talked about that several times this year that these guys have they have more of a knowledge of the offense and they know where to be this offense is based off of concepts it's very different and and I would Look, I don't understand the air raid as much as I do other offensive looks, other offensive schemes, so I'm not going to attempt to try and break it down for people. But it's very different compared to normal football. And it is all about throwing the ball. Everybody knows that. They have a 72-28 run-pass split, meaning they throw the ball 72% of the time compared to running the ball just 28% of the time. Very short passing depth, as you brought up. Look at the numbers from Pro Football Focus. They only throw the ball 6.8% of the time downfield. That's more than 20 yards beyond the line of scrimmage, only 6.8% of the time. It's one of the lowest marks of any team, if not the lowest mark of any team that we've talked about this year. 20.5% is in the intermediate category. That is also, I think, the lowest mark that I've seen this year from an Auburn opponent, at least a meaningful Auburn opponent. 38.8% of the time it's in the short bracket, which is within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. And then twenty nine point eight percent is behind the line of scrimmage. This is the this is undeniably this is the highest bracket of within ten yards or behind the line of scrimmage. Sixty eight point six percent of the passes are within ten yards or behind the line of scrimmage. Over two thirds of the balls that they throw is going to be 
in front of this defense. Auburn's going to be able to keep everything in front of them. It could be behind the line of scrimmage. And of course, that is the Air Raids running game. Are those checkdowns and those swing routes and those screens to running backs or receivers, that is their running game. But it's also what this offense is outside of the screens. They can't stretch the ball down the field. And I think Mississippi State, we know this, this is one of the more poor teams. This is one of the poorer teams in the SEC in recruiting. They don't have the talent to win in space on a consistent basis against the best defenses in this league. And that's why they're 5-4. and four. If this offense isn't working, isn't efficient, they're going to be off the field in 20 seconds. Maybe even right. faster than that because of incomplete passes. And then the defense is out there on the field. I think this defense is much better than the points allowed per game total that they're giving up, which is 25. They've just been on the field a ton because the offense has put them in some really difficult situations at times this year. Same as last year. I think this Mississippi State team's a lot better than they were a year ago. I think Mike Leach has done enough to warrant staying here at Mississippi State. But I also think Mississippi State fans at some point will have to evaluate are we okay with going 7-5 and five every year? Because I do think that is the ceiling for any Mississippi State football team. One dimensionality, whether it's running the football or throwing the football. The air raid is no different than the triple option. The best it's going to be able to get you is 7 or 8 wins on a year. And the reason why you're doing the air raid or you're doing the triple option is to account for deficiencies that you have on your football team in the trenches or at other locations you're doing something so strange that other teams are so not accustomed to seeing that you're trying to make up for your deficiencies and it's not going to work against the best teams in the league and I would credit Auburn with the teams that they've beaten this year as being one of the best defenses in this league and so I don't think their offense is going to work against Auburn the question is will Auburn's offense be able to work against Mississippi State's defense and that is up in the air because no touchdowns in the last six quarters I will say this about Mississippi State's offense so they are sixth in the SEC in drives per game they get about 12 drives per game makes sense though considering how many drives can fail for them and how quickly they can fail right and they run six almost six and a half plays per drive which is second in the sec but points per drive they are uh they are 12th in the sec which tells you that it's not efficient when you look at points per play for this team that's got to be really low because they're having to run a lot of plays they're having to exert a lot of effort and energy to score yep they are 13th in the sec in points per play so it's not a very efficient offense at all and again, like you're mentioning, like you were mentioning, they're not really attacking downfield a whole lot. And like I was saying earlier, it's going to be a lot of mesh in crossing routes. And mesh is known as somewhat of like a, a, a man beater that creates like rubs and different things and picks and stuff. Could like use that. the referee in the middle of the field as a hip check. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. Classic uh, or the uh, Chicago Bears reference from the other night. Uh, so you could also do that you could have receivers throttle downfield to get into open space if you're playing against zone I just again with the way that Mississippi State attacks I don't think they're going to be doing a whole lot of that they're just not going to be very explosive against Auburn and if Auburn zone finds a rhythm in this game it could be over quickly well look at last year offense look at how Auburn's defense played last year and Auburn's defense was worse last year than it is this year yeah this fits right into what Auburn wants to do from a defensive perspective look at how opponents have played Will Rogers this year and the statistics do not lie he faces the blitz just 13 and a half percent of his dropbacks only 13 and a half percent of the time does Will Rogers face a blitz this year the offense naturally 
because of the scheme and how fast the ball's coming out, it keeps him from facing pressure. He's only under duress this year. He's been kept clean on 83% of his dropbacks. He's only faced pressure on 17% of his dropbacks. Those numbers courtesy of Pro Football Focus. So what that tells me is opposing teams are dropping more guys into coverage. They're content to give up yards along the way underneath. But ultimately, the passing lanes are clogged and the drive will fail eventually down the way. That is exhibited by the points per play and the points per drive totals that you brought up earlier, 12th and 13th in the SEC. They may run a lot of plays. But the drive eventually fails right. without enough points to support the fact that this is a viable system in the SEC. If you've got sure tacklers in the secondary, you're going to be able to beat this offense easily. And Auburn has sure tacklers in the secondary. I thought the secondary played really well this past weekend against Texas A&M, even without a pass rush. Jalen Simpson and Ladarius Tennyson had two of their best games at the right time. Of course, the defense, obviously, it's not their fault they lost. If you get the same types of performances that you got out of Simpson and Tennyson in this game, alongside what you've already been getting out of Roger McCreary, State's going to have a really hard time moving the football. I think this plays right into Auburn's strengths on defense. I'm not going to say that this could potentially be a blowout like I did last season, <laughs> or last weekend, but the offense for Mississippi State is just as bad, if not worse, than Texas A&M and I don't think there's a whole lot of... And you're at home. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of arguing with that, and then also on top of that, I don't think Mississippi State's as talented as Texas A&M was. The, uh, the definition of a mesh route, by the way, is a basic design of a mesh concept and involves two receivers crossing underneath at a point uh, over the middle of the defense. The offense can then incorporate additional elements on the outside to further stretch a defense. You can also just kind of bring in two mesh routes and in essence what you're trying to do is trying to sit down in the soft spot of a, uh, of a man defense or a zone and just wait for the football. Again, that's going to lead to a lot of uh, drives that stall against Auburn, I think, because Auburn has the athletes to cover those underneath routes. And then also, you know, you look, they're running a lot of plays, right? And they maybe, let's say, they pick up one or two first downs a drive. They're, they're don't, they aren't going three and out very often. They're running a lot of plays, but they're quickly stalling out. They'll, they'll run somewhere between 10 and 11 plays a drive, but they'll barely get anywhere with it. They'll just barely get what they need to to pick up first downs, and they're doing it quickly. And so it's going to, it's going to, it's like, it's like a sparkler that you get at the 4th of July. It's going to shine, but very quickly it's going to burn out. And so this Mississippi State offense, I think, is going to have some issues against Auburn because, again, the athletes Auburn has on defense, as opposed to what the, like the point you were making, as opposed to what Auburn was doing last year against them on defense, it's a better version of that, and it's at home. Another element that I want to talk about here about the Auburn defense is how Will Rogers does against that pressure. And I think this is particularly interesting. Will Rogers has taken the next step in this league and in this scheme but I still don't think he's a top half of the SEC quarterback. And the numbers that he has against pressure tell me that. He's kept clean so often because the ball's coming out quick, and that's by nature of the scheme and the pass route concepts that they're running. Rodgers against no pressure when he's kept clean. 78% of his passes are completed for 2,992 yards, 21 touchdowns, and five interceptions. As said earlier, defenses are content to allow him to do that because that's how you want to play him. You want to contain, don't give up anything over the top, make sure you're sure tackling, keep him in front of you, don't miss tackles, right? When he faces pressure, which has not been often this year, once again, I go back to it's only been like 17% of his dropbacks. 
Rodgers completes just 50.9% of his passes for 287 yards, two touchdowns, and three picks. He hasn't faced it a whole lot, but when he has, there's a stark contrast in his ability. The key will be for Auburn's defensive line to be able to get pressure on Will Rodgers with little help from blitzes. Will it happen often? No, but on key downs, if it's third and long or something like that, can you get pressure on him to make him make a negative play or possibly force him into a turnover? Because he has thrown several picks this year. I mean, he's good for over an interception a game. Those turnovers are going to play a big part, and can Auburn get pressure? I don't think they'll be able to. Auburn hasn't shown the ability to do that without blitzing this season. They've got depth on the defensive line, but is it necessarily quality depth? Are there any studs on this defensive line in terms of pass rushing? I don't think so. I think they've just been good, but not great. I think they've been kind of above average in this league. They create a lot of negative plays and run stopping, but sacks. And and surprisingly, they were 24th or 26th coming into last weekend and sacks in the country. That's surprising because, once again, I don't think there's any studs on this D-line. I think this is a game where the defensive line isn't going to be able to do a whole lot just because they're not going to be asked to. This is about the linebackers and this is about the secondary. And a note about those linebackers is, as far as targets are concerned for Mississippi State, what receivers should you be keying in on? It is the running backs. They target running backs out of the backfield, which Equavius Marks and Dylan Johnson sitting at second and third in targets for the Bulldogs this season. They're the safety valve with swing routes, short curls, and design screens for them. They want to get the ball to Woody Marks. They want to get the ball to those guys because they like what they can do when it gets in their hands. That's their running game, not actually running the football where they only average four and a half yards per carry for Johnson and 3.6 yards per carry for Marks, which is absolutely awful. This The running game is not a threat, but these linebackers are going to have to play well out in space against Marks and Johnson, who are pretty good when they get the football in their hands on those swing routes and those screens. Owen Papo and Jacoby McClain, yet again, just like they were last week and in the Ole Miss game, and they answered the call. I think they're well prepared for this by their previous two opponents, but they are going to be attacked by the backs again. You look at their plays per game for Mississippi State on defense. They're actually best in the SEC in plays allowed per game given up to their opponents at about 56 but they are sixth in the SEC in yards per play. So they're not out on the field a whole lot, but they're giving up average yardage every single time that that, that the opponent runs a play. So again, you factor in all these different things. Auburn's at home. Mississippi State's offense is not very good. If Auburn is able to stay on the field and to prevent, and prevent Mississippi State from running their offense, I think they could find some success in this game. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about that Mississippi State defense and why it could lead to kind of just not a fun day on Saturday. Not saying that Auburn's going to lose, but it could just kind of be a gross 11 a.m. football game. Doesn't mean Auburn's bad either. I just think there's some things that could give Auburn some issue on Saturday. So we'll be back here on On the Line. Last segment of the Wednesday edition of On the Line. It's been a fun show today. This has been an absolute blast. Talking college basketball, college football as well. We're still breaking down Mississippi State here on Report Wednesday. We'll continue to break down strengths and weaknesses and the position group breakdowns as the week goes on. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl here with you wrapping up the Wednesday edition of the show. And if you missed any of today's show so far, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. I teased this coming into this segment. I said, I think the Auburn defense is going to play well. But there are some things that the Mississippi State defense does well as well. Wow, that didn't sound right coming out of my mouth. It sounded right in my head. but It makes sense. I, th- I, yeah, that's right. A little redundant. But there are some things that the Mississippi State defense does well 
that I think can make this not a fun game on Saturday for Auburn fans. I think Auburn will win. I wouldn't be shocked if it looked a lot like last year where it's like 24 to 10, 24 to 9, something like that. I think Mississippi State's going to have a hard time scoring themselves because I, I have a lot of respect for this Auburn defense. I think that what they do from an offensive standpoint, it plays really well into what Auburn does on defense. But likewise, I think what Auburn wants to do on offense, A, it's not working right now, and B, I think it factors in well to what Mississippi State wants to do on defense, which is a much better unit than what the statistics will tell you. Again, I want to point out that Mississippi State only lets opponents run about 56 plays a game. And that's best in the SEC. They only let opponents have about 9.1 drives per game, which is easily best in the SEC. So Auburn's got to make the best of their opportunities that they get on Saturday because they may not have the ball very long. And like I was saying... And Auburn's going to turn a lot of clock when they do have the ball. So that may even drive that number lower. Right. And, And as I was saying earlier, I'm interested to see how Auburn's zone holds up against these mesh crossing routes. Because I think, again, Auburn's got the athletes to go out there and get some stops. But at the same time, if Mississippi State's just content to get their three or four yards of play, which SEC StatCat and PFF shows, they are content to get about four yards of play. That's normally uh, how many yards they're going to get. They'll just slowly drive down the field on Auburn, and then Auburn will just have to really be efficient on offense, which they have not been as of late. It's possible for them to win. They scored 26 on A&M. In, right. in College Station, or was that in Starkville? I that, can't remember. That was but, in College Station. Okay, so they scored 26 on A&M in Starkville, and that was a different A&M team back then, but they found enough points to beat a team that plays good defense. Mm-hmm. If you can't score, you can't win. And so I'm just saying, 11 a.m., if you don't come ready to play on offense and Auburn struggles, Mississippi State could do it. I, I think they're good enough to do that. And look at this defense real quick before we go and get out of here. It's a modern, multiple defense they switch in and out. There's some malleability to those fronts, as Justin Ferguson was talking about earlier. He said base 335. They could also get into some four-man fronts, get into the nickel. There's a lot of different things that this Mississippi State defense can do with Arnett as their defensive coordinator. They've got the modern aspect and the modern view on this defense, and that can be a problem because it's hard to pinpoint any one thing that Mississippi State likes to do on defense. In one game, they may blitz 38% of the time. In another game, they may only blitz like 10% of the time. And there's evidence to show that. Didn't blitz Kentucky hardly at all. Blitzes Alabama nearly 40% of the time. Guess who's got a similar offensive line and pass protection as Alabama right now? Auburn. They may decide to come after Auburn. And Auburn's had blitz breakdowns all year and pass protection. So that scares me a little bit is if Mississippi State elects to blitz, can Auburn throw the football against the secondary? That's actually been pretty good. They allow uh, you know, 63% of the passes, which isn't great compared to other teams, but they're also averaging one interception a game, and opposing teams are only totaling up 220 passing yards per game against them. Their cornerbacks all have a grade higher than 71.3. They've got some good secondary players. I also want to point out about their defense. Believe it or not, they're first in the SEC in turnover force percentage. Yeah. They're higher than Georgia. And, and that 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 could be also an issue for Auburn. But as believe it well. or not, their turnover margin is zero with that. They turn the ball over a lot on offense too. They do turn the ball over a little bit. You could this could be a Roger McCurry flex game. It was last year. It could be another one uh, here as well. I also want to point out they're one of the the top three teams in the SEC in terms of opponent red zone play percentage. They 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 bend, but they don't break very often. And so 
That's something Auburn is also going to have to work on, not getting field goals, getting touchdowns, which has been a point of emphasis over the past week. They defend the run fairly well. They hold opponents to just 3.6 yards per carry. It's a sneaky good front. I'm not going to say it's awesome. It's not awesome. They, they still primarily run three-man fronts, which gives you confidence that Auburn should be able to establish something on the ground. But once again, I go back to they're not awesome, but they do hold their own. And if Auburn does not play well up front, this could be a problem. Mississippi State, I think, is going to be aggressive. I think they may come out there and blitz Auburn on Saturday. Just looking at how they played Alabama and other teams that have shakier fronts, they may be licking their chops right now and saying, let's blitz them. Let's put a lot of pressure on Bo, which we know he does not play well under pressure. Let's try and eliminate that aspect of things for him in the offense. And then, you know, let's try and stop the run. If they can do that, this is going to look a lot like it did last year. Yep. Could be a no-fun game at 11 a.m. I still think Auburn's going to win, but... It's not going to be fun to watch. I really don't think so. That is it for the Wednesday edition of On the Line, the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck coming up. Stay tuned for that here on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. We'll see you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.